Well, hello everybody, and welcome to this Federal Election Forum, which um, has been put on by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs, SAGPA, in partnership with Lethbridge Public Library. Welcome to the candidates. We look forward to hearing what you have to say. The Greens candidate was invited, but advised me that she would be unable to participate. And just as I was coming to the forum this evening, five minutes before I left, I had a call from the campaign manager of the Conservatives to say that something had come up and uh, Jim Hillier would be unable to participate. I didn't, I didn't make the same noise, but that's exactly how I felt. <laughs> because it screwed up the, <laughs> the old timing <laughs> for everything. But uh, you'll have to bear with us on that one. We've got three very able candidates there. Um, thank you. Thank you, audience, for coming because it's not just from the candidates we want to hear, we want to hear from you. Um, uh, now, thanks to the library's video conferencing equipment, as Todd has said, uh, we do have people over at the Crossings Branch on the west side, and we will be taking questions from them if they have questions. And we have an overflow audience in the community room right here at the library's main branch. Shaw TV is um, videoing the debate and it'll be broadcast on Sunday in full uh, on Channel 9. SAGPA is recording the debate and the audio will be on its website tonight. Now, I want to get to the debate, but first let me ask you to switch off your cell phones. And I want to tell you also about the format. Candidates are seated alphabetically by surname. The order of speaking has been determined by drawing lots. That's already been done. Candidates have been asked that in their two-minute opening statement, they list the main policy issues identified by their party and explain the differences between their approach and the approach of the main opposition. Introductory statements will be followed by questions prepared by SAGPA. These questions require research and they were given to the candidates last Thursday but the candidates do not know which of the questions they will have to answer. Candidates will have two minutes to answer the SAGPA questions. When they're finished, um, other candidates may intervene if they wish by raising their rebuttal card for a one-minute intervention. And candidates, you have three rebuttal cards each on the table by the side of you. Um, <clears throat> we'll then go into a candidates debate where we hope 
the candidates will debate a topic of major concern directly with each other. I'll give them the topic and I'll only intervene to prevent over-speaking. After the debate, we'll have a 10-minute break and that would be at around 8.20. When we resume, it'll be your turn to ask the questions. You'll have, um, the, the, there's a mic at the back of the uh, theatre, and please use that. Uh, you'll have one minute to pose your question. If you direct it to a single candidate, they'll have two minutes for their reply, or one minute each if the question is directed to two candidates. You'll be limited to asking one question until all audience members wishing to speak have done so. Thereafter, follow-up questions or new questions will be entertained. Candidates other than those to whom audience questions are directed that wish to intervene may do so by raising their rebuttal card for a brief 30-second intervention. Before we end, candidates will be invited to make a one-minute closing statement explaining why it is they think you should vote for them. And now... On to the introductory statements. Mr. Cap of the Christian Heritage Party, you have the floor, sir. Thank you. I want to thank the audience for coming, and it's encouraging that people, in spite of the possible voter fatigue, are taking part in this. The two-parent family in this country is under assault because of taxation, and when only one, family, one parent is employed, Taxes can even double. They've already must deal with the rising cost of living in fuel, electricity, and food, and it is an insult that they find it extremely difficult to manage because of tax policies. Both parents are often forced to work, and one of them is often in a low-paying job. Their children have to be put into daycare where they are subjected to a revolving door of low-paid daycare workers. University studies have shown that children do not civilize other children. They need their parents to raise them as our parents raised, uh, were raised by their parents. Our children today are our nation tomorrow, and the best thing we can do for our children will be the best thing we can do for our nation. We oppose national daycare schemes precisely because of the harm they do to children's ability to form long-term relationships and because they tend to produce more aggressive children. We oppose such schemes because of the cost, because they will add to the tax burden that already punishes our families. With that in mind, our party has a solution of a monthly family child care allowance of $1,000. If one parent of the two, it can be either the father or the mother, will stay home to raise our children. It, financially, most families would be ahead of the second earner's income, and our children would benefit from the long-term relationship with their families. Nor would this cost more money. The jobs opened up would be available to those on employment insurance, welfare, and to students needing entry-level jobs to get experience and to earn money for tuition for higher education. Your government would actually save money with this allowance program. Tonight, I hope that you will get a better idea of our innovative ideas to help our country move back to peace and prosperity. Thank you very much. Okay, Mr. Cormican, you have the floor, sir. Thank you very much. 
It's time to return to compassionate, caring government, one that restores respect for democracy and puts priorities of you and your family first. Let us review the conservative record. They took from us, uh, took us from surplus into deficit even before the economic crisis. Canada ranked last in children's care. Students delaying studies because of debt load. Canadian families are paying more out-of-pocket expenses for health care. Family caregivers currently provide 80% of home care services. Nearly half of child uh, of caregivers use personal savings to survive. More seniors are struggling to live, and three-quarters of Canadians working in the private sector have no pensions. Mr. Hillier's uh, Conservatives' priorities are wasteful and excessive spending on advertising, overpriced, untendered fighter jets, excessive corporate tax giveaways, and U.S.-style mega-prisons. As a healthcare practitioner and manager and parent, I saw the devastating effects of a starved healthcare system, including long wait times, shortage of doctors and nurses, especially in smaller communities, in our Lesbridge riding. As chair of Friends of Medicare, locally and provincially, I have actively defended publicly funded health care. Our priorities are the same as yours and your families, publicly funded and publicly administered health care system where every Canadian is served well, equally and quickly where they live. Secure retirement to ensure that seniors live with uh, security and dignity. Supporting families to care for loved ones and manage caregiving costs. Helping students directly with tuition costs. Helping families with renovation costs to make your home more energy efficient and reduce your utility bills. Your family, your future, your Lethbridge. On May the 2nd, vote Michael Cormican. Thanks very much, Mr. Sandy Lyons. Thank, thank you, and thank you, everyone, for coming tonight. Uh, here we are, having an election again. Five years ago, Mr. Harper was elected Prime Minister, and, and I think uh, all of us had hope that the Liberal scandals would be cleaned up and we would have accountable government, uh, a transparent government. Uh, he even promised an Accountability Act before the election, and uh, we looked at that, and it was adopted by Parliament early in 2006. Unfortunately, only part of that proposed act was adopted, and only some of those recommendations are being followed by Mr. Harper. He promised that he would clean up Ottawa, but he didn't. Canada has fallen in the level of transparency rated by Transparency International from very transparent to moderately so. We're behind Turkey in terms of our transparency. The New Democrats have a plan. They have a plan to make life more affordable for Canadians. We'll begin by reducing credit card rates to only 5% above the prime lending rate. We will give small businesses a tax break so that they can continue to create jobs because it is small businesses that create jobs. We'll lower the tax rate on small businesses from 11% to 9%. We'll work to make pension and retirement 
more affordable and bring the savings to Canadians. We'll bring forward a doable plan to make sure that Canadian families have access to childcare and education. And we'll give working families the flexibility to care for a sick or aging relative. Finally, we'll put forward practical solutions that will improve your frontline health care. Personally, I'm committed to working as hard as I can to get the Castle Crown Wilderness protected as an area and to get funding restored for places like Women's Space and Fifth on Fifth. The government should be supporting these programs. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. We're going to move on now to the SAGPA questions. And our illustrious timekeeper, Knud Peterson, is going to ask candidates to draw two numbers each from the hat. Where's the numbers? <laughs> they are okay. in there. Three and seven. So Mark Sandylands has number three. Hang on, Knud. And number seven, okay. Four and five. Four and five for Mr. Cormican. One and two. One and two. And one and two for Jeff Cap. Now, you should have two left in there for our absent candidates. Good, because I'm going to use them afterwards. Okay. So we're going to go on to first number question, uh, question number one, which is being drawn by Jeffrey Cap of the Christian Heritage Party. And the question reads, it deals with electoral reform. And the question reads, many believe Canada uses an outdated uh, voting process called first-past-the-post or simple plurality. These systems, which have been scrapped by many major democracies, allow a party to win 100% of the power because of vote splitting with as little as 40% of the vote. With the current system in Canada, millions of votes are wasted. They're not counted, and they elect no one. The guarantee that every citizen has the right to vote in federal elections has little value when so many of our citizens' votes do not count. Where do you stand on this, and where does your party stand if there's any difference? My party and I stand as one. The CHP has had a policy for nearly 20 years that Canada needs electoral reform. We have had numerous governments elected with a majority of seats, but only a minority of voter support. In fact, except in 1958 and 1984, all Canadian majority governments since the Second World War have had less than 50% voter support, but won over 50% of the seats. It has led to arrogant governments that believe they owe no respect to policy initiatives but their own, and significantly, 
It has caused large numbers in voters, large numbers of voters in the country to despair of any value to their votes. We will actively pursue this process to ensure it moves forward and is subject to approval by a simple majority in a national referendum and that it is designed to ensure that MPs not elected directly are still accountable to voters and not to their parties. Okay, thanks very much. Does anyone wish to intervene? Any rebuttal cards? I can't see any yet. You, you, okay, Michael Cormican, you have the floor. One minute. I believe that every vote does count and the views of every Canadian are important. A new Liberal government will lead democratic renewal with a a three-part plan. Create an open government by expanding access to information and making it available online. Working with all parties to improve dialogue in Parliament, including new limits on Prime Minister's power to shut down Parliament. Modernize elections by developing an Internet uh, voting option. Canadians expect their leaders to respect our democracy between elections, not just when we vote. It is time to return to compassionate, respectful, democratic government. In this spirit, I encourage the work of groups like Fair Vote Canada in improving electoral reform and Canadian democracy by advocating proportional representation. Thank you. Anyone else want to intervene? Okay, we're going to move on now then to question number two, which is also for Jeff Cap. And the question deals with corporate tax cuts. And it reads, why should government cut corporate tax by $6.2 billion when Canada is in a $56 billion hole? The total average annual compensation for Canada's 100 highest paid CEOs was $6.6 million each in 2009. The same group is now pressing to further cut corporate taxes. Where do you and your party stand on corporate tax cuts? Corporations do not pay income tax. They pass it on to consumers in the form of higher prices. If we assume that an item costing $10, the profit is $4, and assuming a corporate tax rate of 18%, then the corporation would be taxed 72 cents on the profit, keeping a profit of 3.28. The corporation simply raises the price from $10 to 10.88, passing on the taxes to consumers as a cost of doing business, in this case of preparing and marketing the product. We pay those taxes because the corporation passes it on to us as a cost of manufacturing. This is one reason why the CHP proposes to reform our taxation from trying to take a share of earned wealth to a national sales tax on business activity. We believe the government does not have a right to what people earn and own and can later invest in their communities and in business activity. Thank you. Mark Sandilands, one minute, rebuttal. Well, Mr. Cap is totally wrong that uh, corporations will pass along the tax to their customers uh, in their pricing. Uh, first day of economics, you learn that the uh, price that is set is a base, based on supply and demand. Corporations uh, set the best price they can to make the best profit they can. If the taxes take a bit of money from them, uh, they will absorb that unless uh, they can get away with it. 
So uh, don't believe people who say that the, the prices will be passed along. Canada's corpora corporations have seen taxes fall from 29.1% uh, since 2000 uh, to 16.5% if uh, Mr. Harper's budget goes through. This is a 50% cut, and the loss to the Canadian Treasury is $120 billion. With the revenue from corporate tax cuts, corporations invested outside Canada, paid bigger dividends to shareholders, paid wages of 5 or $6 million a year to their CEOs and, and executive officers, and uh, put Canadians out of work by shipping jobs out of Canada. We don't need corporate tax cuts. Thank you. If there are no other rebuttals, I'll move on to question number three, which is for Mark Sandylands. And the question deals with Federal, gov federal government subsidies to the oil industry. The federal government subsidizes oil companies to the tune of $1.4 billion each year, according to the International Institute for Sustainable Development. These subsidies come in the form of special tax breaks, uh, royalty reductions, loan guarantees, and footing the bill for infrastructure that supports the industry. Fossil fuel subsidies encourages wasteful consumption, distorts markets, impedes investments in clean energy sources, and undermines efforts to deal with climate change. Ending these subsidies would be one step towards creating a truer market price for fossil fuel, which would prompt greater efficiencies in extraction and production and encourage investment in clean energy development. Where do you and your party stand on subsidies to oil companies? Here's a statement that was uh, agreed to by the G20 leaders in 2009. Quote, inefficient fossil fuel subsidies encourage wasteful consumption, reduce our energy security, impede investment in clean energy sources, and undermine efforts to deal with the threat of climate change. This was a statement agreed to by the G20 leaders in 2009. Canada's leader, Representative Stephen Harper. He failed to follow through on that commitment because Canada is subsidizing the oil and gas industries to over $2 billion a year or over $75 for each Canadian. Now, the subsidy was okay when the price of oil was $20 or $30 a barrel. Now it's over $100 a barrel. They don't need the subsidy. Reports say that the tar sands produce 12% more greenhouse gas <coughs> emissions than if they weren't subsidized. Other countries eliminating their fossil fuel subsidies uh, in uh, 2010 budget, uh, Barack Obama announced that he will cut 12 tax breaks to the oil industry worth $36 billion in subsidies. The New Democratic Party would cut those subsidies and use that money to foster uh, renewable energy industries so that we can get off the carbon uh, emissions that we're producing and reduce our carbon footprint because we have to, given the current climate situation. Thank you. Any rebuttals? Michael Cormican, one minute, please, sir. A new Liberal government will make significant new investments in federal water science to support federal decision-making in the oil sands. 
we will introduce a cap-and-trade system to reduce greenhouse gas emissions across all sectors, including the oil sands. Instead of preparing our country to compete in the new green global economy, the Conservatives have spent more than four years dragging its feet and weakening environmental oversight. We will end the corporate subsidies that the Conservatives give to oil sands companies. We will reinvest that money in the oil sands to support increased monitoring and development of cleaner technologies and practices and enforce Canada's environmental laws. Thank you. Any other rebuttals? Okay, we will now move on to question number four. Question number four has been drawn by Michael Cormican and it deals with fracking on the blood reserve. And the question reads, a large-scale drilling project is planned for the blood reserve using hydraulic fracturing, better known as fracking. Given that several of our provinces and American states have moratoriums on fracking, do you and your party have concerns considering that it will take place in close proximity to the water supply for most of southern Alberta, including Lethbridge and the St. Mary's River Irrigation District. I am extremely concerned about fracking and its consequences on our health and our environment when we hear of six dead cows in a seven-week period, and worse still, deaths of Aboriginal friends from fatal skin disease that is, 14, that is 14 times higher than the general population. We all need to be concerned. Then there's the hundreds of chemicals that may cause downstream contamination and billions of liters of fresh water being flushed away, lost forever. My biggest concern is that our First Nation friends felt that they had to accept fracking for their economic well-being. We are committed to revisit the Kelowna Accord to help improve health, education, and living standards of Aboriginal people. Thank you. Any rebuttals? No rebuttals to that question, or no rebuttals to Michael Cormican's answer to the question. Okay, we move on to question five. And this question deals with nuclear energy. It's also for Michael Cormican. <clears throat> Where do you and your party stand on the issue of nuclear energy? Do you consider that nuclear power plants are better for the environment than, say, for example, coal-fired plants? What is the position of your party on nuclear energy? We, rega we regard nuclear power as expensive, irresponsible and unnecessary. Expensive because it is very costly, irresponsible because it creates threats to security of humans, direct incidences or through nuclear proliferation as well as nuclear waste. And thirdly, unnecessary because there are other solutions to our energy needs such as renewable power. Investing in renewable power and technologies creates jobs and spurs Canada's economic growth. Many in our private sector, civil society, and provincial and municipal governments are already leading the way. What's missing is leadership from the top. 
we need to catch up to what others are already doing. And a liberal government will provide that leadership. Thank you. Any rebuttals? Mark Sandilands. Well, Mr. Cormigan, I don't recall hearing uh, your leader speak uh, so uh, much against nuclear power. Um, maybe I missed it, but uh, I think that uh, Mr. Uh, Ignatieff has actually uh, waffled on the issue of nuclear power as liberals waffle on so many things. Uh, nuclear power does not serve the needs of reducing global warming. It's uh, um, dangerous. It's uh, unnecessary. And it's expensive. A study by a, uh, an accountant in the United States showed that nuclear power can cost over 20 cents a kilowatt hour. And the main cost for nuclear power is because the length of time it takes to build a nuclear power plant. We need electricity on this planet, but we can get electricity in many ways other than nuclear. The Pemba Institute in their uh, article, uh, Greening the Grid, shows how we can get away with uh, getting away from coal and getting away from uh, nuclear power using renewable energy and conservation to reduce our need for energy and uh, find a, a new renewable world of uh, energy generation. Thank you. Any other rebuttals? Okay. We'll then move on to question seven. And that question deals with crime prevention. And the question was drawn by Mark Sandilands. In the recent televised leaders' debates, the Prime Minister was criticized by all opposition parties over his plan to build mega prisons. In your view, is spending more money on social programs and education a better investment in crime prevention than building more prisons? Or is there no link between the two? Go. Go. Thank you. Two minutes. <laughs> okay, well, the NDP and I are of a mind that locking criminals up and enforcing mandatory minimum sentences doesn't solve the crime problem. We believe in a balanced, effective approach based on prevention, policing, and prosecution. You have to be tough on crime, but you have to be tough on the causes of crime. It's like being at the edge of the river and finding bodies floating down, and you rush in and try and pull the bodies out, and you keep doing it over and over again, and you have to send somebody up the river to say, who's throwing those bodies in in the first place? So you have to do prevention at the one hand, and you have to do intervention at the other hand. And people who work in the field call it primary prevention, secondary prevention, and there's even a tertiary prevention. I won't get into the details of that. So the NDP plan is to work with provinces and territories, First Nations communities, to funding at least 2,000 new police officers. Mr. Harper promised to bring more police officers, but he's not doing that. Mr. Harper has cut funding for programs in prisons. That's the secondary and tertiary prevention that we need so desperately. If you talk to, and the door knocking, I did encounter somebody who worked in the jail. He said, basically, we're warehousing them. This does not solve the problem of crime because of the problem of recidivism. 
We will create new standalone offenses for home invasions and carjackings. We will give parents, teachers, and police more tools to protect our children by making gang recruiting illegal and establishing a comprehensive correctional anti-gang strategy to ensure that prisons do not serve as crime schools to train gang-involved offenders. We would ensure that appropriate care, treatment, and interventions are available for mentally ill offenders in prison as recommended by the Correctional Service, uh, Correctional Investigator of Canada. Thank you. Thank you. Rebuttals? I, can you hold it a bit higher? I can't see. Yeah, thank you. Jeffrey Cap. A lot, no small number of convicts in jail had very poor or no relationships with their fathers. We spent so many years making it difficult for the family to operate. No fault divorce of taking fathers away from their children. It's no wonder we have social problems, so much, so much criminal activity. The John Howard Society calls the Harper government's approach stupid on crime. We in the CHP would enact law that requires judges to order restitution directly to victims from the criminals. Nonviolent criminals, except those most resistant to the rehabilitative and corrective program, shouldn't be languishing in jail, but should be electronically monitored at home and or at work or in transit using GPS monitoring technology. Violent criminals, on the other hand, should be staying in jail until they prove that they are safe to walk among us. And we need to change jails from being club-fed to being corrective institutions with a regimented daily routine. We would end the gun registry that punishes law-abiding people, and instead we would turn the screws on those who abuse firearms by severely multiplying their prison sentences. We would let law-abiding Canadians apply for a permit of concealed carry of firearms, putting them no longer at the mercy of armed criminals who defy our firearms laws. Thank you very much. Okay, now we've actually come to the end of the question, the SAGPA questions drawn by the candidates, but uh, as you know, we were expecting another candidate here, so I've got two questions left. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the questions one by one and then I'm going to recognize the first candidate to raise their rebuttal card and give them a bash at the question. And of course you'll also have a chance to rebut it. So question number six (coughs) deals with a Canadian wheat board. The Canadian wheat board Uh, is a contentious issue with many farmers. Do you favour its present monopoly or should producers have the freedom to market their grain as they see fit? Who'd like it? Geoffrey Cap, you have the floor. Two minutes. The monopoly was not voted in by farmers but legislated by the government about 70 years ago. We would end the monopoly and give farmers the option to sell their grain on their own. They shouldn't have to vote to end a monopoly that they never voted to create. Thank you. Uh, who else wants to? Yes, I saw Mark Sandilands higher than the. Well, Mr. Cap, the uh, the uh, Canadian Wheat Board monopoly was brought in 
because farmers asked the government to do it. They lobbied the government to, to uh, bring in the Canadian Wheat Board. Uh, and Mr. Harper has, uh, going back to his days as uh, president of the National Citizens Coalition, uh, argued long and hard and, and uh, lobbied to get rid of the Canadian Wheat Board because it ideologically offends him. He bends the rules in uh, the elections. The farmers voted for, to have a single-desk marketing system. They voted over and over again. The Conservative government has uh, jiggered with the rules by making some people ineligible. Uh, they uh, fired the director of the Canadian Wheat Board. They passed a rule that the Canadian Wheat Board could not advertise to uh, um, put their own case forward. And they spent taxpayers' money advertising against the Canadian Wheat Board. Totally unfair and totally disreputable. Okay, thank you. Uh, Michael Cormican. The Conservatives have been misleading and non-responsive to the needs of the farmer. Legislation to eliminate the uh, monopoly of barley sales was only introduced in 2008, but never brought forward for debate and died when Harper called the 2008 election. In the last Parliament, the Conservatives never reintroduced the Canadian Wheat Board marketing freedom legislation, which makes me wonder how serious they are about ensuring market uh, viability for this major resource and its producers' future, especially those in our riding. We respect the democratic right of farmers, and so we will not interfere like the uh, Conservatives have done. Farmers should decide their, uh, what is best for them. We will support dialogue and made-on-the-farm solutions. Thank you very much. Okay, we're now going on to the last SAGPA question, which is question number eight. I'm going to read it, and the first candidate's flag that I see up will give it to them to have a first bash at it. Question deals with coalition governments. Formal coalition governments are the norm in most Western democracies. Are there special circumstances why coalition governments should be avoided in Canada? Who wants it? Mark Sandilands. Two minutes. Well, I can do two seconds. No. There's no reason that Canadians uh, shouldn't have stable government. It seems to me that uh, when a... Uh, uh, the rule is when you have the largest number of seats, you get to try to form the government. You get to see if you have the confidence of the House of Commons. This is where the decision of who is the government is made. We are not the United States. You don't, none of you people in this room will get a chance to vote for Mr. Harper unless you uh, move to Calgary South and you happen to be visiting here. You get to vote for the local progressive conservative candidate or for me or for Mr. Cormican or Mr. Cap or Ms. Bartlett. Your vote is here and you elect a member of parliament. The largest number of seats goes, uh, gets to try and form the government. If that party cannot form a government, then they try and either govern with a minority, as Mr. Harper has done twice uh, and Mr. Martin did before that, 
or they can come to some kind of informal or formal relationship, as has happened in the past. This, uh, if it's a formal relationship, would be a coalition. If it's an informal relationship, it uh, can be a minority government, somewhat stable. The New Democrats are committed to cutting down on the number of elections by having a relationship to work with another party in, in the House of Commons. If you go back a month from now, or a month earlier from now, Mr. Flaherty said, we don't negotiate. Well, what kind of operation is that when you have a minority government? It happened to Joe Clark in 1979. He said, I will govern as if I have a majority. And he lasted, what, nine months because he tried to do it as if he had a majority. doesn't work. Thanks very much. Any rebuttals on that? I see no rebuttals on that. Okay, in that case we'll move on to the next part of our forum, which is the candidates' debate. And audience, this is the first time we've done this. What we're trying to do is to get the candidates to debate issues directly among themselves. Um, I will only intervene to prevent over-speaking or any other misdemeanors. <laughs> but I'll give them the topics. So the first topic, gentlemen, is why are we having this election? Many citizens are uneasy about the way federal politics is being conducted, so tell us why we're having this election. Who wants to go first? <laughs> Candidates, do you know why we are having this election? <laughs> well, I, I just explained it. Because it's because uh, Mr. Harper decided that he uh, has enough money to threaten the other parties with an election. And the way our system works is that if uh, a, gov a government has been in place, and the, the constitutional experts uh, uh, have uh, opined on this, if a government has been in place uh, for long enough, and that period of time is, is somewhat flexible, they get to call an election if they lose the confidence of the House of, uh, of Commons. And that period is maybe six months, maybe a year. Uh, there was talk in, in uh, uh, 2000, uh, uh, let me think, 2008, early 2000. Uh, um, okay, so Harper lost the confidence or was about to lose the confidence of the House in the fall of 2008, and he prorogued Parliament. And that was the, the uh, even that was a debate as to whether there would be an election or whether uh, there would be uh, the chance of the opposition parties to form a coalition. And by the way, it was a coalition between the uh, Liberals and the New Democratic Party with the Bloc Québécois agreeing uh, not to, to uh, vote against in, in a confidence motion only for a period of one year renewable for one more year. So we could have had a, a, a period even of four years without an election. Um, but uh, Mr. Harper prorogued Parliament and, and uh, Mr. Ignatieff backed off and said, no, I'm not into a coalition. A very strange set of circumstances. But uh, it's because the Conservatives could get an election anytime they want and they collect money uh, they say uh, we're going to cancel the gun registry or we're going to do something to the CBC and money pours into them. 
And by the way, that money is a lot of taxpayer money because when you make a donation to a political party, uh, you get se- up 75% back on the first $400. I so would like to comment on the, the funding issue. It's a fact that the five largest parties in Canada receive, by force of law, funding from the Canadian taxpayer at the rate now of just over $2 per vote received in the preceding election. This is not money that is voluntarily given to the parties based on them earning it through meritorious performance. This is by force of law. This is where the money comes from from all those attack ads that the Harper government has been running on television. It's from people, and it's by force of law. And this has been the case for well over a decade. We've been funding the large political parties simply because they happen to get a certain number of votes in an election. We believe this is a corrupt practice worthy only of a third-world dictatorship. We believe that parties should have to earn their support through money by persuading you, the voters, that they merit your free will donations. We already have a very generous system whereby you can give up to $1,100 to a party in a year and up to $1,100 to a candidate in a year, and you can get up to $400 in tax credits on your, on your income tax for making those donations. This is how we should be financing parties, not through force of law where they get all this cash flow. They get to finance their next election campaign on your backs. That's not right. Well, That's not democracy especially when the small parties, and there are 18 parties right now, the 13 small parties don't get a dime simply because they were below the threshold. Why, why should, if this is the system, why shouldn't they all get it, or why should any of them get it? Well, that, that threshold is 5%, Mr. Cap, and... and uh, why 5%? Why count 0%? If it's not going to break the budget of the people of Canada, why shouldn't they all get their share? Why shouldn't the Work Less Party have gotten their two or $300? I think that's been tested. Uh, has, hasn't uh, that been appealed? Uh, at uh, what, Whether that level is discriminatory or not, I, I don't know. But uh, the researchers have shown that uh, where there is uh, uh, taxpayer support of political parties, there is less corruption. Around the world, there is uh, taxpayer support for political parties because it's seen as a way of getting big money out of politics. This is one of the problems with the Liberal Party. They relied on corporate donations to a large extent. And when Jean Chrétien threw a, a stink bomb into uh, Paul Martin's lap when he left the, uh, the prime ministership, he put that piece of legislation in, and the liberals were not prepared to raise money. We, ra- we had a system of raising money. The, uh, the conservatives had a system of raising money, uh, and they raise uh, $25 million a year. But as I said, they get a lot of that money from people who are getting a big refund on the donation. So taxpayers are, are supporting unwillingly the Conservative Party for their attack ads for those Bloc big Québécois. donations. And the Bloc Québécois, they're supporting the separatists, even though they don't believe in separatism. We would put uh, 18 boxes on your income tax return, list all the official registered parties. You stroke which one you want to give your money to that year. Very simple. You, you don't need my intervention, oh, okay. Mr. Sorry. You can come right okay. in there. Okay. The ta- uh, taxpayer, the um, NDs or any party will get the same benefit tax-wise. You've got to remember that, too. Why should all it be equal to all parties, though? Why, why does a party's money have to depend on the votes they get? Why can't it be more equitable? 
based on their ability to participate in the democratic process. I guess it could be reviewed, but you've got to have some, um, what should I call it, benchmark uh, where it starts. You can't, you can't just have a, a few radicals that will try and start up something and uh, expect to uh, have their endeavor financed. Mm-hmm. But if they have support, why shouldn't they get? Why shouldn't they receive that money if they have popular? Well, support the rhinoceros party gets money. Uh, I mean, they have candidates. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, Marxist-Leninist party gets candidates. The uh, uh, mm-hmm. I can't remember the the Church of the uh, the Flying Spaghetti. I think uh, <laughs> runs <laughs> candidates. Uh, you can uh, you can run candidates for just about any uh, thing that, that you can think of. Would you have all of these parties uh, being funded by the uh, two dollars per vote? Well, we saw three regis- three parties drop off the registry in this election and just prior to it. So the system sorts it out. Has and again, we all pay taxes. Why shouldn't we all get to take part? Why should I, as a believer in a particular party? We have to pay taxes into the service, but not derive any revenue your from party it. Appealed I don't believe Mr. that's Cavett. right. I believe there shouldn't be any revenue from taxpayers by force of law. Have you Has, appealed to yeah. the courts on this? Pardon me. Have you appealed to the courts on this? We've been part of a process. We've been we've been appealing through this. We were we supported the Communist Party when they were fighting the minimum number of candidates to be registered. That got changed. Now you only need one candidate to have registered party status. That's a little low. Perhaps it should have been 12, but the point is it has been fought by those who have the resources to fight it. Okay, I'm going to wrap that segment up. Thank you very much, gentlemen. And the next topic... Do go after each other. The next topic is health care. You know, there's, there's, we hear almost daily that there are plans to scrap public health care. So what is the issue? I mean, what is the problem? What is the situation? The problem is the cost. The Christian Heritage Party supports the single government-paying system. But like in Europe, which already uses a two-tier where they have private delivery, Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia, has more MRI machines than in all of Canada because they have competitive delivery. We can have competitive delivery, but we still have a single government-payer system. With competitiveness, you cut the delivery cost, and therefore you cut the cost to government of providing us with the health care. You're absolutely wrong on cutting the cost. The United States spends 15% of its gross domestic product on health care, 15%, pushing 16 We spend 9%. Uh, France spends uh, 7 or 8%. Other countries spend lower amounts. Uh, if you have a competitive system, one of the reasons that Canadians can go to the United States for health care is because they have overcapacity. As you pointed out, Philadelphia has more MRI machines than anyone else. They're competing for people. But when somebody walks in, they say, where's your credit card? That's how their system works. That's why we would have maintained a single-payer government system where they bill the government. You can't have it both ways. You can have a mixture like they have in many countries in Europe and and very successfully in Europe. Where there's a mixture and doctors work on one side and the other, then they say to their patients, listen, uh, I can get that hip replaced uh, in you know two or three days if you come to my private clinic, but if you go to the National Health Service, uh, you're looking at uh, uh, next December. 
uh, or, or even longer waits. That's how a two-tier system works. Well, they sure look at our system and with envy because uh, uh, we, we uh, treat everybody and people are treated according to how quickly they need service. There are some, some problems uh, for wait times in, in some procedures, and we have a, a suggestion to uh, get more doctors, 2,500 more doctors trained, 6,000 more nurses, use more nurse practitioners so that, that uh, when you have the sniffle, you don't take up the time of somebody who's taken 14 years to get trained. There's all kinds of ways to, to help this. Read a book by uh, Michael Rackless on uh, prescription for excellence. Uh, we can do it under our single-payer system, and it works well. Are you a candidate? Uh, we're going to give you the microphone in a minute, but we, can we just let the candidates debate that health care issue? Anybody else have anything I, to say? Yes. Good. I have worked in health care for well over 30 years, and I've seen close up the devastating effects of a starved health care system. It all boils down to greed. The, uh, the entrepreneurs see a huge possibility for making money in it. They keep pulling away pole by pole from the big tent. Every Canadian family must be served well and equally and when, whenever they need care, no matter where they live. I'm glad our team will deliver direct support to Canadians for their loved ones at home. We'll maintain a 6% increase for past 2014, provide prescription drug coverage, new health promotion strategy, and accelerating mental health research. These are all the things that we need in a public system. The more you privatize, the more you destabilize the larger picture. That is a well-known fact. Liberals can be relied on to defend the public health care system. It was a liberal government that brought it in. We will strengthen the system and contain costs. I have all kinds of facts. I have gone around this region over the past couple of years proving, uh, again, ba based on uh, studies and information I have received from Michael Rackless and others that proves health care is most sustainable. I love how liberals say that they brought in health care. Uh, Mackenzie King uh, actually promised uh, health care, a public uh, Medicare system, in 1919, if memory serves me correctly. It wasn't until they were in a minority situation in 1964, and Tommy Douglas, who had brought Medicare into Saskatchewan, uh, twisted uh, Mike Pearson's arm and said, uh, listen, if you want my party support, health care is one of the things you have to bring in. Uh, with regard to, to Jack Layden going into private health care, I believe you're talking about his hernia operation. Is that right? Yes or no? He, he had one operation in a private health care facility, a not-for-profit private health care facility, which was the place to go for hernia operations in Toronto, in, in uh, southern Ontario. So when he had his hip surgery uh, a couple of uh, six weeks ago, it was uh, an emergency. Anybody with an, and it was in, a, in a, uh, a public hospital. Anybody who had that kind of uh, break would have that surgery immediately. He didn't go to any private health care system for it. Unlike Danny Williams, Danny Millions, who went down to Florida for open heart surgery. Okay, uh, so I'm wrapping that uh, five-minute debate on health care up, and we're going to move on to the mm -hmm. economy. Inflation is up. 
What about jobs? Who's going to kick this debate off? Five minutes on the economy. Well, we need to bring jobs back to Canada. I am sick and tired of walking through a store like Walmart, Canadian Tire, and, re- and looking for a piece of merchandise to buy it. Made in China, made in China, made in China. This country has an oppressive, brutal dictatorship that has no respect for its own people. It denies freedom of rights that we take for granted in Canada. Why do we have to buy so many goods from there when we used to make these things here in Canada? Television sets, household appliances. Why do we have to get them from this country? A country that cannot produce for its own sake is one day going to be a country that cannot have families that are able to provide for themselves either. We need to bring these jobs home to Canada. We need to put our neighbors back to work so they can generate economic activity here in our own country. We want to introduce infrastructure. And rather than borrowing from the commercial banks and making them richer while we have more debt, we want the Bank of Canada to issue interest-free loans to municipalities and provincial governments for big infrastructure projects that will generate the long-lasting economic prosperity. We did this after the Second World War. We had our longest period of prosperity and growth ever, and it produced much of the infrastructure we enjoy today, like airports, hospitals, freeways. That that created an economic growth in our country. The loans were paid back to the government, and the dollars were taken out of circulation. There was no long-term inflation. That's what we need to do. We need to do that here in Canada once again. I see everybody agrees with Mr. Cap. <laughs> it's interesting, Mr. Cap, on the, you say this, and then on the other hand, you argue for low taxes. But in those years when uh, we were all prosperous, the, the, the 1950s, uh, the highest marginal tax rate, that is the, uh, the tax uh, paid on the last dollar earned, uh, not the first dollar earned, dollars over, say, $400,000, if uh, my memory serves correct, uh, was around 90%. In the United States, it was 93% on income over $400,000. Lower incomes, of course, paid lower rates, uh, 20 30%. But from those high tax incomes, the United States built the uh, freeway system, the interstate highway system. Uh, they put a man on the moon. Then uh, Ronald Reagan came in and started uh, actually uh, before him even uh, uh, John Kennedy and uh, Lyndon Johnson and Richard Nixon started cutting taxes, and particularly the high tax rates. Wealthy people with a system of donations to political parties, as happens in the United States, they have inordinate amount of control over the decisions that the government makes. If we have a system with no parties and individual members uh, voting, this is what happens when, in, as in the United States, uh, you have log rolling. So do you know that in the United States uh, there is defense industry in every one of the 50 states? 50 states, and there's the, some kind of defense industry activity in every one of them because the senators say, if you get uh, this industry in my state, I'll get it in your state, and everybody's hunky-dory. And this is uh, um, the two things together with the, the lower tax rates on the upper-income people uh, and the, uh, the defense industries. It's impossible to cut back the spending on defense in the United States because of the way their system works so that we have a, 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 you know, a country that is on the verge of bankruptcy 
they're, they're uh, at a point where they can't borrow any more money. I can't remember how many trillions, I think it's $14 trillion is their, their limit, and they're about to reach that. And they have to agree to cut some things or raise some taxes. It's really, really a mess. Um, well, I think the big problem we have here in Canada is our unparalleled debt. We have over a half trillion dollars in debt, and we're paying $36 billion a year in interest charges to the commercial banks while we're not paying any of this money back. Christian Heritage would pay off our national debt like a mortgage. We would raise the payments $40 billion a year. And as you, most of you who are mortgage holders know, the more of the principal you pay down, the less interest you pay. We would like to have our debt paid off like a mortgage within 25, 30 years at the most and have a national mortgage burning at the end of it and leave our children, our future generations, debt-free. Okay, I'm going to wrap that one and move on to the environment. It would seem that President Obama is more protective about our environment than our own leaders. Now, what's your view on that? What do you have to say, what do your parties have to say on the state of the environment and what will you do to improve it? Who's going to kick off on that? Well, I didn't answer the question on fracking because uh, you only allowed three interventions and I wanted to save them for some other things. But I I looked up uh, the issue of fracking and uh, there's an interesting list of chemicals that uh, can be found in, in, uh, in the stuff that they squirt in to try and get the gas to come out of the rocks. I'm going to try and pronounce some of them. Trimethylbenzene, it's not too hard, dioxine, uh, hexadecene, octadecene, tetradecene, dibromo, three nitro propionamide, um, two azobis, imidalazine, eilpropene, dihychloride. I'm not, sure I'm not sure where you're going with that one. but Well, fracking is something that has been banned in, uh, in Quebec, in New York State, and some other uh, U.S. states are seriously uh, worried about it, as, as we should be, bec- because, uh, as was said earlier, they're, they're injecting it into the aquifers just across the Old Man River from us. Uh, they're injecting it uh, in uh, coal bed methane uh, extraction, um, and it affects uh, groundwater in this very room. They showed a movie a couple of weeks ago where somebody turned on a tap and you can light it on fire. One of the things that happened a year ago is our favorite uh, uh, prime minister, some people's favorite prime minister, Mr. Stephen Harper, brought in a budget. Now, a budget is a confidence motion, and if it fails, there is an election. It would have been one and a half years since the last election if it had happened last spring, spring of 2010. But that budget bill contained a long list of other things that had absolutely nothing to spend on money. Uh, The budget had provisions to weaken environmental assessment by stripping the authority of the Canadian Environmental Assessment Agency and handing it over to the Minister of uh, various departments. It ended all funding to the Canadian Foundation for Climate and Atmospheric Science, and it cut $43 million from the Ministry of Natural Resources for Environmental Protection. In a budget bill, these are things that the Conservatives did uh, to ram things down uh, the, the throats of the Canadian population to make the environment less uh, healthy for us. Uh, he, quite a few years ago, in 2007, 
change the regulations on the amount of pesticide residue that you can get on your apples because he wanted to harmonize them with the United States. So there's more insecticide and pesticide on your apples now than there was five years ago before Mr. Harper was prime minister. Um, so these are the kind of things that the conservative government is doing, why so many environmentalists and people who care about other human beings want to get rid of this government. Mr. Sagalins, oh. may I please ask, if these things were in the budget, why didn't you and, and why didn't Mr. Layton, Mr. Ignatieff, Mr. Giuseppe together support a motion to have that part of the budget set aside? We actually, Linda Duncan, the uh, MP from Edmonton Strathcona, moved a motion to have that part of the budget set aside. The Liberals voted against her motion. The Bloc Quebecois and the NDP voted for this uh, separation, and the Liberals voted against it because they were afraid of an election. Since Mark seemed to take a liberty there and change the topic, I would like to just get back to the environment, which was raised. About environmental protection. Okay. But... Uh, you started it with quite a twist. Anyway, in investing... Fracking inve isn't something to do with the environment? Well, yes, but uh, I didn't get a chance to jump in there either because I was conscious that we were only given three cards, you know, and I didn't want to give it away either. You, you don't you know. have to use your cards in this part of the debate, Michael. Oh, okay. We're waiting for you to cut in. Okay. Okay. Investing in clean technologies and greater, uh, and greater environmental responsibility creates jobs. Clean resources and stewardship of nature will drive and define prosperity of successful economies in the future. Our green renovation tax will reduce your home energy costs and allow families to do their part in a healthy environment to create a healthy environment and a prosperous way of life. We support a cap-and-trade system that will reduce CO2 levels to 2 Celsius by 2050. Many in our private sector uh, and civil society, provincial and municipal governments are already moving in that direction. All we need is the leadership and the will to do it. We need to catch up with what others are doing already, and a Liberal government will do that. Okay, that's our five minutes on the environment. We're going to move on to five minutes on something that we haven't heard very much about during the election or the candidates' forums or the television coverage of what the candidates have to say thus far. And that's on Canada's place in the world. You know, there's an enormous defense budget. There are plans to buy very costly F-35s. We're at war in two countries, Afghanistan and Libya, we know we failed in obtaining our seat on the UN Security Council. Our foreign aid is about number 14 in the OECD countries. So what do you suppose Canada's place is in the world? I seem to be the first one quick off the mark on... <laughs> quick off the mark on everyone. <laughs> we... Uh, lost our seat, our chance to get a seat on the uh, Security Council last summer because of uh, uh, the uh, uh, foreign policy of Mr. Harper. Uh, in order to get on the Security Council, you have to get the votes of uh, the other members of the United Nations, and uh, Canada 
uh, upset a lot of other people, uh, a lot of other countries. We upset the African countries by cutting Africa off our, our foreign aid list or reducing it severely. Uh, Lester Pearson proposed a 0.7% of GDP uh, to be given to uh, foreign aid. We're down about 03 So less than half of uh, the goal uh, and less than half of uh, uh, um, Netherlands, Denmark, Sweden, Norway, uh, Finland, other countries that, that are way more equal than us and uh, way, more, way, way more better conscience uh, than, than we have. Um, we uh, um, have lined ourselves up with Israel um, way more than we used to. And uh, when the Israel government attacked uh, the Palestinian uh, people in Gaza, Mr. Harper called it a measured response. Um, I don't think any other Canadian prime minister before him, including Brian Mulroney, would have uh, said such a thing, and he was roundly decried for saying that. It was not a measured response. Now, the, the, the Israelites, the people in Israel, have a right to defend themselves against rocket attacks, but not by bombing children. So um, Canada has fallen down on the world stage, both in, in foreign aid as well as in... Uh, uh, our, our relationships with countries in various other parts of the world. In regards to Israel, if Israel put down its arms today, there would be no nation of Israel tomorrow. If the Arabs, who have been trying to eliminate this 2% of their territory, in their, what they call their territory, if they were to lay their arms down, there would be peace tomorrow. The Palestinians engage in tremendous propagandizing of their youth to hate Israel, to hate Jews, this does not help the situation. Israel can live in peace with its neighbors if its neighbors are willing to have that peace. But it's their worldview, their Islamic worldview for the most part. They have no tolerance of, of beliefs other than their own. And they especially resent it having it in their midst. And yet... We, we, we live in peace in other parts of the world. We, have, we, we achieve peace in Europe. We've achieved peace in, in the Americas. Why in this one part of the world must we constantly have the tension of one side that's determined to eliminate the other? We have, we have to convince the Arabs that they, have, that they shouldn't be quarreling to try and take over this one spot of land. This is all Israel is asking for. Their, herd, their, their ancestral homeland. I never said Israel doesn't deserve to have their land, mm -hmm. but they have taken some land through an act of war, the War of uh, 1967. Uh, the United Nations, uh, when it came into being, came into being to stop wars, and one of their prime uh, guidelines was, if you take land through war, you don't get to keep it, and that's what's at issue for the Palestinians. They've actually built walls to separate families from their, their uh, neighbors in, in the, it's the settlement, the Jewish settlement uh, areas outside the boundaries of uh, uh, what we recognize as the state of Israel that is the big problem. Well, again, this stems to the fact that the Arabs will not accept Israel in their midst. If they would put down their arms and, and 
concede the state of Israel within its boundaries as was accepted in the 1947 referendum. And that year, the Jews favored partition of the, of the Palestinian territory, the mandate. They favored splitting it. The Arabs did not. And because of that, they constantly had to fight to keep a toehold on what they've got. And sometimes that toehold is not enough. You look at Israel, you can see that it's a very thin boundary in some places. They were getting bombed from Syria, from the Golanites. They were getting bombed from northern Lebanon. And it's forced them to have to create buffer zones. And when you have to maintain those buffer zones for so many years through changes of government, you're going to have a situation where some governments are going to say, well, we want to keep that permanently. I'm not saying that's right. This is an artifact of constant having to maintain what they've got because their neighbors will not accept them. Okay, we're going to move on. That was five minutes on Canada's place in the world. I didn't hear a single word about Afghanistan. Well, we support Israel. Or a word about about Libya. But okay, now we've been talking so far about broad-ranging national issues. And I want to come down to home, down to Lethbridge, and ask you, candidates, that if you're elected, you've been on people's doorsteps. I actually had a candidate on mine, so I know they're out. You've been on people's doorsteps. Some of you, I gather, have been around in rural areas. I mean, the, the riding is not just the city of Lethbridge. I've seen some of your signs out there, but very few. But um, what do you think from your contact with Canadians, with Southern Albertans, what do you think the priorities are for Lethbridge and Southern Alberta? Yeah, if you want. Um, I certainly uh, find um, healthcare as uh, pretty foremost on, on many people's minds. So uh, that is uh, certainly uh, an emphasis for me and for the uh, Liberal Party. I think I agree. Uh, healthcare is something that, that uh, everybody is concerned about. Uh, there is a, an accord on health care that comes up for renegotiation in, uh, four, in 2014, which is uh, less than uh, uh, three years from now. And negotiations have to start pretty soon on that. This is a national level thing, but uh, it, it uh, affects everybody uh, at the local level. We're fortunate uh, that uh, the regional hospital here comes near the top of uh, a lot of people's lists on uh, um, wait times in the emergency room and and, uh, uh, the quality of care in the hospital. So we're fortunate, Uh, but uh, there's still room for improvement on on some procedures uh, and uh, uh, things may get worse. I spoke to somebody today who said you can't get a family doctor in Lethbridge. Uh, we have, have, as I said, a plan to, to change that situation. I think the environment is, is an important issue. And as I said earlier, the uh, Castle Crown Wilderness uh, area where they're planning to do log, logging uh, to uh, cut 30 acres of logs uh, by clear-cut method and haul the logs all the way from uh, the Beaver Mines Lake area to, uh, to Cochrane. Uh, down the two-lane highways, 
past uh, small villages and hamlets. I think that, uh, you know, that why can't we do something about that? And if I'm elected MP, I'll do all I can on that. The, uh, the wheat board, I think, is, is uh, an issue that's a bit contentious because some people here believe that uh, they can haul their wheat down to the United States and, and uh, make a better deal on it. If, uh, if we had that kind of situation here, I'm sure the American farmers would get up in arms pretty quickly to uh, prevent large amounts of wheat being hauled here. The, uh, but I think it should be up to the farmers to decide that. We're heavily into the beef industry here. Aside from the, the need to control the pollution from that, and I was pleased to see in the newspaper somebody developing uh, a way to handle uh, waste products uh, for, for uh, uh, generating electricity with biofuels and, and uh, uh, generating methane. I think that's wonderful to, uh, to get away from sp spreading manure on fields where it runs into our water source. But uh, the, the beef industry here suffers because of uh, situations like uh, Cargill and Tyson who run their own herds of cattle. And so when the price of beef goes up, uh, the farmers find the, the beef, uh, the feedlots find they can't sell it because uh, Cargill says, we don't want your beef. We have some of our own that we're going to be slaughtering for a little while, and we'll keep doing that until the price drops again. Uh, so the price of beef, ever since Cargill and Tyson arrived on the scene, has not done very well for the farmers. BSC crisis on top of that. Do you think uh, which kind of government would uh, pass a rule saying you can't run your own cattle herd if you have a, a, a slaughter operation, which would solve the problem immediately, and which, by the way, happens in the United States, where we think that they often have free boot capitalism? Well, we're aware that there are a lot of rural communities that don't have their own doctor. Christian Heritage would offer the incentive of paid tuition to any student who is willing to sign a contract to locate in a rural area for a number of years that would give us doctors in our rural areas. We would open more residential residency spaces for graduating Canadian doctors. And most Canadians would be shocked to learn that although Canada has a severe shortage of doctors, Every year, graduating doctors are forced to leave Canada to complete their residencies because there aren't enough placements for them in Canada. The uh, Liberal Party has said it will forgive up to $20,000 for doctors and nurses in training for rural areas. We've also suggested uh, $3,000 to fire, uh, volunteer fire, firefighters and pensions because many people, and they tell me that at the door as well, that I'm a farmer, I don't have any pension. And uh, there was one gentleman in one of the businesses the other day, and he was quick to chirp up when he heard me talking to the lady at the desk and said, well, I'm a farmer and uh, I don't have any uh, pension. So that is a huge issue. In fact, uh, three-quarters of small businesses don't have a pension plan. Right, okay, candidates, thank you very much. We're now going to have a break for 10 minutes, and when we come back, we're going to take your questions, audience questions, direct to the candidates, but please be back so that we can start at 8.30. Thank you.